Welcome to session four of this group of six webinars on the principles of governance hosted by BoardPro and BoardWorks. I'm John Page and this is Graham Narkies and in this fourth session we're talking about the board's connection to the chief executive. Welcome back. In the past three sessions we've largely talked about the role of the board and, and what that looks like. We're now going to move to how it connects with the chief executive. And it's really important because when you think about it, a board is f physically present in the organisation probably less than 1% of the time, but it has uh, accountability for the organisation the whole time, particularly legal accountability. So therefore, it means there needs to be some method of connection to the chief executive. We're going to work out uh, how that's done and talk a little bit through that in this session. It, there's a number of different dimensions to this, but I think the starting point really is that the board needs to create a framework within which the management team does its job. So that goes back to the direction and control concept we talked about earlier. The board needs to give direction and it needs to create a framework of control as well. And that's largely done through the process of delegating what is in the first instance the board's authority and, and creating a sense within the management team of where its decision-making space is, for example. So, you know, one of the definitions of corporate governance is it's the allocation of decision-making rights. However, <laughs> as chief executives frequently find that what they thought was a clear-cut delegation <laughs> is not if the decision they make is something that upsets somebody on the board. That's right. It's this sort of idea of necessary remote control so that we've said enough that when we're not here, it's very clear to management two things. A, what we're trying to achieve, and B, what you can't do, which yeah. is important. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So uh, there's another concept which I think is really important here, and we've touched on it slightly in, in previous modules, but we want, as a board, to ensure that the organisation is well managed without doing the management ourselves. Uh, we may talk about it in a later session, but. The problem is that executive teams frequently complain to us that their boards are meddling, for example. Mm -hmm. And then you look at what they're reporting to the board, and it's mostly inviting the board to be spectators to management activity. Well, that's right. And in those cases, generally speaking, both parties are at fault. The board has failed to create the necessarily clear framework, yeah. so management is at a bit of a loss and just... Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. 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 It's natural. Let's just tell them how busy we've been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so what we have to work through here and, and have the board think about is how does it, when it's not in session, exercise this sort of remote control? And the way it does it is through governance policy. And that can take a myriad of forms, including the strategy stuff that we well, were that's talking right. about and, earlier. And, and that's one of the things that people fail to understand, that the board's primary instrument of policy is what we talked about earlier, the statement of intent. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. everything flows from that. There, there are other categories of, of governance-related policy, though, that, that are important. And we tend to, to think about there being four key components to, to governance policy. There's, there's what I'd loosely call the housekeeping stuff. So, so the board's own job description, the processes and so forth, and, and documenting those in, in, for example, a board charter or a governance policy manual or something like that. But charters are, have become quite commonplace and are a very useful tool for the board describing how it's going to do its own job 
And the second category of, of governance policy is really how does it connect to, to the chief executive, as we were just talking about. So that would be a lot of the delegation stuff and the performance management stuff, even the, the original appointment of, of chief executive, how they're going to go about that. You know, is, it a, is, it, is the board committing to it being a merit-based appointment, for example? There's a third category, and it touches on the risk management stuff that we talked about before and the control element, and that, that is basically creating some boundaries within which the chief executive is free to exercise their best judgment, which there's another point we need to make about allowing the chief executive to exercise a reasonable interpretation of the board's policy. I think just before we leave that, it's just worth coming back to in the process part of the of the charter, there should be uh, definitions of the role of directors and the expectations that are being placed on them, both in terms of their behaviour and their contribution. Right, right. And, and, and whilst we, we're not talking a lot about recruitment in here, those things should be transparent at the outset. One of the things that's really important in most governance environments that would fit into that governance process category are how they'll deal with, for example, conflicts of interest. Yeah because that goes to the heart of the integrity, not just of the board, but of the organisation. Something that's often lost sight of is that managing conflict of interests well is as much as anything else protecting the reputation of an individual who might be unfairly accused of having a conflict, for example. It's just often simple things as well. Sometimes we come up against uh, directors when we're doing evaluations, we said, well, we, I wasn't made aware that I was going to be evaluated. Well, that needs to be expressed up front and, and laid out in a charter that actually this is part of how we work, we take accountability for our performance. One of the things that's challenging boards more and more, which you'd also expect to be set out in, in that governance process part of the policy set, is how a new board member will be inducted, for example. So with increasing diversity on boards, we're seeing boards really seriously challenged, not by ticking a diversity box per se, but the inclusion of someone who is there because they've got a different way of seeing the world in the first place, how they <coughs> become fully contributing members of the board as opposed to some sort of subject matter expert who, who is sitting out on the edge somehow. And this comes to the kind of heart of the purpose of a board. As many people have said, if we all have the same view, well, we only need one of us because that makes the board meeting much more simple. The purpose of the board is to have diverse and often conflicting opinions from which you get a better outcome. Yeah. But, yeah. but you have to understand how to work with that, yeah. otherwise yeah. you just end up with, with conflict <laughs> and nothing else. Yeah, yeah. So I talked about the, you know, three of those categories of, of, of policy. The fourth one is the one that you referred to at the outset, which is that direction thing. You know, what are the, the ends that we're pursuing? What are the outcomes that we must achieve? What's the impact we must have on, on our world? So those, those four components fit really nicely together in this idea of some sort of device for remote control which enables the chief executive and their team to travel safely, to be able to get on with the job of operationalising those, those plans yes. and those intentions. So, and one, one of the ways that we look at this when the 
board frames policy, which is the board's job, is this idea of mixing bowls. Mm. You know, when in your larder, you can't stack mixing bowls the other way around. <laughs> you can't start with the small ones because that just doesn't work. So, and very often the largest one is actually something we talked about earlier, which is values. Mm-hmm. That's, that, that's the, you know, because as humans, our values are set at about 25, and we don't change that very much. So within that, then you come down, you know, and I think earlier we said, so we value our people. Well, what does that mean? You need yeah, to yeah, be more yeah. specific, such that you've given guidance to management, and it might come down to this is what we believe about you know maternity and parental leave, yeah, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. To the point where Graham was saying, we have said enough. Yeah, and now yeah. beyond this point, there is a reasonable interpretation yeah. that management can make. Yeah. Just in terms of that mixing bowl analogy, so you always start with the big outside bowl and and you look at those policy statements and you say, have we said enough about this? Mm. And probably in most cases it's not sufficient because the test is always, have we said enough to let the chief executive and their team go away and interpret this on our behalf? So there's almost always you know, one or two three even, uh, smaller mixing bowls fit in so that the the policy starts at a very high, relatively general, maybe even abstract level and gradually becomes more specific to the point where the board is comfortable that they can let somebody else interpret that policy. And boards are generally very good at at creating financial policies because they understand limitations on numbers. But usually they go wrong in other areas, and we've seen this of late, particularly in the cultural behavioural areas, that they don't make their values express and clear in those spaces, and that's where things mm-hmm. come badly off the rails. Yeah, I mean, a very good case in point is, is, uh, was thrown up by the Australian Royal Commission into the financial services sector, uh, which showed that there was a lot of really bad conduct going on in, inside particularly the major banks, but also some of the other major financial institutions in Australia, and that the directors were seemingly unaware of. But perhaps they were also creating the incentives for that bad behaviour in the first place. Uh, So that's not just confined to Australia or New Zealand for that matter. It's It's a global thing and there's been a lot of those sorts of problems. And this circles back to the earlier conversation about ends and means. It's the board's job to define the means to be achieved and this this policy process to a certain extent is about are there any limitations on the means that management yeah. can choose yeah. Yeah. Um, and one of the ways that we look at that in the slides is this idea of a, of a policy funnel which is mm-hmm. quite a good um, concept where, where you've got the ends defined and the means and the walls simply say if you want to go outside the walls you've got to come back and talk to us some more. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's specifically to ask for permission, other times it's come and tell us what you're thinking about the options are for action in this, to yeah. achieve this, this yeah. result. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's a very simple concept and it invites the right sort of conversations and reminds chief executives that they ta- can't take for granted, they can't make assumptions that just because they've been nominally delegated authority that the board necessarily meant that in its heart, <laughs> you know, uh, and and that really only comes to light if the judgment that as a chief executive you make is inconsistent with what was in some maybe just one director's head at the time that they made that. But again, I think you made the point earlier that the board needs to respect the delegation yes. until such time. It's a bit like here's the goalposts. We're not going to move the goalposts in the middle of the game. 
Well, yes and no. Sometimes the board is at liberty to move goalposts because uh, at the end of the day, it's accountable for all things at all times. And yeah, the most yeah. obvious recent example is COVID, where goalposts move very quickly and, and boards suddenly became very interested in, in a lot of detail. And that was correct. Yeah, and, and look, uh, chief executives need to acknowledge that their boards will dive deeper when there is a crisis, when there is uncertainty, which is actually when a board comes into its own, really, because for a lot of the time, being on a board is a relatively straightforward exercise, right? Yes. But it's, it's in the crisis, when there's a high level of uncertainty or risk, that directors start stepping up and saying, we've really got to be involved in yes. this, because ultimately, we're accountable for the organisation. And chief executives want help. In these, in these, in these yeah. areas. And there's been a lot of great stories come out of the lockdown periods in particular of how maybe even for the first time, boards and management teams have really sat down together and combined their, their respective perspectives and, and, and experience and, and skill sets and so forth. And it's been welcomed by both board and management. So, so the, the, the other area here in terms of communication to management is about the board's uh, monitoring role, its watchdog or its you know, oversight role. But, but again, the board needs to be specific about what it's monitoring and the criteria. So, so, uh, and this comes down to being very clear about what we're trying to achieve and the measurement around it so that the management can put information up that allows the board to answer the question, are we going fast enough in, in, the, in the right direction? And again, the board has to do its work first there. Otherwise, and we see this all the time, you get board papers full of irrelevant measurement, which is not helpful. Yeah, and I think just to reinforce that point, the board's policy settings actually create the criteria for reporting. Mm not just in a compliance sense, but it's because the board has said, this is what's important to us. This is how we want to do our job, and this is how you need to help, and, and this is how we are going to impact on you doing your job. But it's a two-way process, and ultimately it's, it's a collaboration. There's some asymmetry of power, because the board has all the positional authority, in a sense, as the employer, but who controls the information that the board works on? Well, that's right, and we'll come to that in the, in the next section about meetings, which is about management understanding that it's assisting the board to do its job. It's not looking for the board to have oversight of you know management activity so, so much. I think that one of the last things in here is a phrase that we often use when we're working with boards about it is the board's job to make clear what information it wants and in what form, and we'll see that flow through into the meeting things. Unless the board has said that, they'll get what they deserve, really. So I think... Um, Probably we can wrap this one up. What, what we've said here is, is that the board has to do its job first before it can uh, even begin to construct a, a connection with management, which is largely done through policy um, and, and limitations on means to be chosen. So, mm. so management must not be left guessing. No, and if I can just add to that, John, I, I think one of the things that I think is missing in a lot of governance education is the importance of policy and the way we've been talking about it. 
it is the board's main tool, and yet you see very little reference to the board's policy-making role in most mm. governance-related literature. Yeah. It's like boards just muddle through and, and make a lot of assumptions, and management on their side do as well. What we're talking about here is creating a really safe environment for both board and management, and thereby the organisation, because respective expectations are clear. Well, and, and, and it's time-consuming. It's, it's often not simple, and it does take time, and boards are sometimes unsure how to go about it, so they probably need a little bit of help. But, but once that's there, what it does essentially is it clears the desk for the board to focus on its job, not worrying about whether management is doing the right job, because it's been very clear about that. So it allows the board to come back into the spaces that we were talking about, mm. having a strategic role rather than an operational role. So look, thanks for joining us across these six short seminars. Thank you to my colleague Graham. Thank you to Board Pro. We really do hope this has been useful. If you want to continue the journey and learn some more, look to our website, boardworks.nz. We've got lots of great articles. We're committed to writing and have done for 20 odd years. There's a lot of reference up there and Board Pro's own site has a lot of material. So please avail yourself of that. Thank you for your time and we hope it's been useful to you.